It's a trap! Hello and welcome to Radio TCX, your weekly source for X-Wing news and strategy. I'm Tim Dugan, and I'm joined by my longtime co-host, Carson Ray. Hey, everybody. Great day to talk about X-Wing, and surprise, we actually are going to talk about X-Wing today. We also have our junior correspondent, John McDermott, here. John, how's it going? (laughs) Pretty good. Wrecked. Jeez. It just popped into my head. Anyway, we're going to talk about X-Wing today, um, and it's been a little while since we've really done that, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, we were really struggling to come up with X-Wing topics when X-Wing is not really being played. Um, of course, it is being played on Vassal and T Tabletop Simulator right now, but a lot of those are not your normal X-Wing formats, so not too much to gleam from those. Yeah, John and I played on uh, Tabletop Simulator last week, and it's okay. It's just not the same. And, like, you know, being sheltered in place right now, I'm really missing just, like, an actual game of X-Wing on the table. Yeah, I miss playing the game. I also miss just actually being able to, like, talk to people face-to-face while I do it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So while we can't really play X-Wing right now, we can talk about it, so that's what we got to do. And actually, I think we've come up with a pretty good topic. Yeah, so we're going to start a new series this week, and I think it's actually, I was looking back at our uh, last couple dozen episodes, and it's been a while since we've actually done a series about kind of the design of X-Wing. So we're going to start a new one this week. We're going to be looking at ship types in X-Wing, breaking down a particular ship type in this episode, and then talking about how that ship type is represented in each of the seven factions. So as we were discussing the different ship types, we came up with seven different classes, And this week, we're going to talk about the heavy fighter ship type. Yeah, so let's get right to it. All right, so we're talking about the heavy fighter, um, which that name might be confusing, but basically this is the X-Wing class ship. Yeah, and so the the reason we wanted to start with the heavy fighter is it is kind of the definition of X-Wing as a whole, because like the quintessential heavy fighter is the T-65 X-Wing. So we felt like that's a good place to start to you know begin our conversation about ship types and uh, how they're incorporated into this game. Yeah, and there's a couple different you know things within the heavy fighter distinction that really make it different from the other classes. So the the big thing about it, the heavy fighter is that it has pretty moderate survivability. So it's generally six to eight hit points, some combination of shields and or hull. Um, and then you have like your fringe cases on the ends that have five or nine hit points. Yeah, and the other part of that survivability is, of course, the agility. Um, so your heavy fighters are going to either have uh, two agility dice or one agility die. Um, of course, there's one exception. We'll get to that. You'll also find in general that uh, when it comes to attack power, your heavy fighters typically rely on primary weapon values the majority of the time, and they're usually going to have a baseline of three attack dice for their primary weapon values. There's a little room um, just based on some abilities where this can be circumvented, but the majority of the ships are going to be talking about have that baseline attack value of three, Um, and that really ties into their role uh, when you're using them in X-Wing. 
Um, so you'll almost see across the board, either they have three attack dice or they have a way to generate the attack power of three attack dice. Right. I mean, so good offense is, you know, one of the important factors of the heavy fighter. Like, that's what you're taking it for is, you know, a reliable way to get these three attack dice attacks. The heavy fighter is also generally a very versatile ship. You can usually fly it alone or in a formation of ships that are either like it, similar to it, or maybe not even in the same class. Yeah, and I think the versatility is a big uh, factor here that separates it from things like a light fighter, uh, which we'll talk about in a future episode. These are things like TIE fighters, um, where those typically don't get flown on their own just by the lack of survivability. Um, Whereas, you know, a ship like an X-Wing or a B-Wing can do well on their own, or they can be flown in formation with other ships, either other heavy fighters or different ships in formations. They have a lot of versatility to them, and uh, that's kind of why the X-Wing falls in this category, too, is because it is a very versatile ship and can fill a lot of roles in a list. Yeah, I mean, and, like, there's so many different ways you can play a heavy fighter. Um, This ship type probably has the most diversity in how it can be used on the table. Yeah, ships in this category are very strong early on in games because um, they have that higher hit point value and then better attack value as well. So they can hit harder and they're going to make it through the initial salvo as well. Right. I mean, your heavy fighter is, you know, one of your main jousting classes. Um, there's also the light fighter, which is, you know, your swarm options. Um, but both of those are your ideal jousting ships. So really strong early game the mid game is you know one area the heavy fighter can struggle in um, because it doesn't necessarily have all of the maneuvering options that some other ships types have Um, and so you know when they get locked in the scrum um, their maneuver options can be limited now um, through play skill you can get around that um, you know planning ahead you know, making sure you have openings to K-turn, flip around, keep these guys shooting. But that's one area where they can fall off. Um, and then you get to the end game, and, you know, we still have good firepower. That's important. Um, but now the hit point threshold starts to be a limiting factor um, because you don't have that great of agility to protect your hit points. Um, means th- these ships will go down eventually. And that could become a liability at the end game. But they also do still have the capability to close out games on their own, you know, through offense. Yeah, and I think that's a huge factor you can't dismiss is that the ability to be able to put out damage late game as a ship on your own. Uh, this really differentiates them from things like light fighters, which usually rely on their damage output in mass with other fighters. So if you're throwing a bunch of two attack dice ships, you're assuming that the weight of fire from multiple shots will be the thing that does damage. Um, a single ship with, you know, a three attack dice attack value can do damage on its own um, against even ships with high agility. So while we used the T-65 X-Wing as kind of our baseline for the heavy fighter class, we did take it a step farther and break down some examples by faction to give you some more examples and kind of talk about how they differentiate and what they look like. Yeah, and I, th- I think this is a cool way to break them down, too, because it gives you a little bit of taste of what the faction identities are, because you kind of have the baseline archetype for this, which is the T-65 X-Wing. That's your standard heavy fighter type ship. 
Um, and then you can see how each faction spins that a little differently. Um, so let's start with Rebels, because that's we're already talking about T-65s. And uh, Rebels are interesting in that they kind of have the, uh, like the, you know, they kind of rule the heavy fighter category. Um, and they have a lot of the kind of the most archetypal variants of it. Right. And I think your point about faction identity here is really important. And that's kind of why this topic interested me, because, of course, when we look at Rebels, we're going to see this is a very strong element of their faction identity uh, because they have a ton of options. Um, but, you know, like every faction, at least for the heavy fighter, um, you know, because it's such a standard ship type, every faction has at least one. Um, but we are going to see, you know, quite a lot of variance between the factions once we start comparing them. So going to the Rebels, of course, we have the T-65 X-Wing. You know, it's got middle hit points, you know, four hole, two shields, pretty good. It's got that two agility, so it's got pretty decent survivability. Um, and that's going to be one of the big things we when we compare it to, like, the V-Wing that has, you know, substantially higher hit point count, you know, four hole and four shields. Uh, but just that one agility. Yeah, and I, I think the X-Wing and the B-Wing, too, are both archetypes in their own right, where the X-Wing is uh, the prime example of mid-hit points, mid-agility. The B-Wing is the prime example of high-hit points, low-agility. And you'll see a lot of the other ships we talk about fall into kind of those two categories. A lot of the one-agility heavy fighters we talk about will have a, a higher hit point count to compensate for that whereas other ships that have the more middling hit points will have a more average agility of two. The B-Wing also trades a little bit of its speed on the dial for some strong maneuverability. Um, part of that is in due to the fact that the named B-Wings have good abilities that reference stress tokens, but the B-Wing can turn around real tight. They have those two K turns and the one Talon rolls, um, and then they have the nice kind of blue slow maneuvers, the banks and the straights on the ones. Right, I mean, there's also the barrel roll with the linked focus action. You know, T-65 has a barrel roll, but um, you don't use it as often because you also need modification, right, where the B-Wing can reposition and get modification. And, of course, that also synergizes well with a lot of its pilots that like getting that stress from the linked action. Well, and I think it's very easy to, if you just looked at the two dials comparatively, just to say that the B-Wing has worse maneuverability, but it's not as simple of a transaction because of that barrel roll linked into a focus, where when you have a barrel roll linked into any action that can modify your offense, um, that really does enhance the quality of the dial. And like you were saying, John, um, it does actually have pretty strong maneuverability at a slower speed, and combining that with a barrel roll means it does better in certain areas of the fight like when it has to get real tight in with the scrum it has better maneuver options to deal with that and keep arc on things right absolutely i think the t65 is a lot better at getting into the fight with you know a wider range of speed options but then once you do get into that scrum the b-wing is really going to excel but the rebels still have a lot of other options yeah, so some of their uh, more fringy options, I'd say, um, obviously the ARC-170 in first edition first appeared in the Rebel faction. It's become a staple of the Republic now, but we still have four named pilots flying that ship in the Rebel faction. And this one, again, falls in kind of that uh, high hit point, low agility archetype that we see with the B-Wing. Um, here it does a little bit of a variant on it in that it has that rear firing arc, um, which gives it more options for shooting. Right, I mean, the ARC-170, you know, stat line 
is a lot better than the X-Wing or the B-Wing. You know, it's got an extra hit point than the B-Wing. Um, and it's got that rear firing arc. But what the ARC-170 trades off there um, is, of course, a slightly higher point cost, but also maneuverability. This ship is going to be a lot slower. You know, it's barrel rolls red. So that's sort of the trade-off there in that balance. It also operates just slightly differently because it is on that medium base. So the ship moves, you know, I guess comparatively faster technically than a small base because the maneuvers are going to send it farther just based on its base size. Um, while it does have those slower maneuvers in the red barrel roll, um, but then the longer maneuvers are going to send it farther. So the arc does benefit from having the 4K, um, which you know, a lot of people underestimate because it can throw that ship really far forward and then all of a sudden its three-die gun is facing you again rather than the two-guy back arc. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that has held the ARC-170 back in the Rebel faction is just the lack of access to a generic version of it since all the pilots are named. It's a little weirder to fit them into a list um, in a way you'd want to. I think the ARC-170 is a pop more popular choice in the Republic faction just because you have access to those generics, which we've seen over time, is where the real value is. Right. I mean, the named Republic arcs show up, but also primarily the generic arcs see a lot of play there. There's also the Ozatuck gunship for the Rebel faction, um, another ship that has high hit points and low agility. Um, and you're, you're paying a little bit more in cost for this ship because it has a 180-degree firing arc, which none of the other ships in this category do for the Rebels. Yeah, and this ship also has a crew slot, which is something we don't see very often on our heavy fighters, uh, which, you know, of course can give it some utility. Yeah, and this one actually might be the highest on survivability for the Rebels, um, you know, because it has that high hit point count, but also that reinforce action as well. But, of course, you have to pay a bit more points. Yeah, looking at the Rebels overall, too, it's there's not a lot to say other than, like I said before, they kind of set a lot of the main uh, archetypes for other heavy fighters there. You have the more baseline, simple ones like the T-65 X-Wing and the B-Wing, and then you start to see some play with uh, how the ships fire, um, adding a little bit of extra utility with the ARC-170 and the Ozatuck gunship. Moving on, though, let's talk about the Imperial faction, um, and this is interesting. So this faction only has one heavy fighter in it, and it is a, the ship on our list here that seems the least like a heavy fighter, though it does still fall into this category. Right. I mean, the Empire doesn't really do heavy fighters. They're going to excel at basically all of the other categories on our list, um, just not the heavy fighter. They just have the TIE Advanced. Yeah, and so the TIE Advance does vary in uh, some pretty significant ways. It's obviously got a lower hit point total of five. It is the only ship on our list with three agility dice. And it's got a similar offensive output. It's got a primary weapon value of two, but it can be augmented with its ship ability. Yeah, basically the TIE Advance, when it has a target lock on the defender, can roll an additional red die, and it can auto-generate a critical result. Um, it can change a hit to a crit result, um, which does give it a little bit more of a punch than some of the other ships in this list. Right, but on average, like it does roll two attack dice a decent amount, which means it's probably on the lower end um, as far as offense for this list. 
Well, and I think a, a lot of perceptions of the TIE Advanced have been shaped because, I mean, Darth Vader is far and away the most popular pilot. And, you know, since he has access to multiple actions in a turn, let alone the Force, that's really going to skew people's perception. If you look at the TIE Advanced outside of Darth Vader, generally I think you have to say it has a weaker offense in that the offense to get it to the level of other heavy fighters, you have to put a lot more work in to get target locks. And that means you're probably not spending those because you want to get that three attack dice multiple turns. Or you are spending it, so you have to take the target lock action every turn. So um, I'd say overall, debatably, I think it has the weaker offense. But in those circumstances where you do set it up, obviously it does pack a little bit more punch with the auto crit convert. But I, I think most interestingly about the Empire is that this ship really does show how the factions imprint on each ship type. So this is clearly how the Imperials would do a heavy fighter. We see this across the board on all their ships. They will go a little bit on the cheaper end. They'll go on the lower hit point end. Um, but this does come in pretty inexpensive compared to other heavy fighters. So there, you know, there's a, a benefit to going at the uh, to going with a cheaper option. Right, and a low agility value for the Empire is like two. So three agility like this is the empire's heavy fighter right yeah there's not really even another ship that could be considered close to a heavy fighter for the imperial faction like you said carson they pretty much do every other ship type well um, the tie advanced is as close as they're gonna get and if people are curious too because i'm sure a lot of people out there are saying like well you guys wouldn't classify uh the tie defender in the heavy fighter category uh and we actually wouldn't we actually have a separate category we'd put those in ships like the tie defender well and i think like when we look at the faction identity for the empire like outside of vader the tie advanced is incredibly unpopular which i think speaks to like they're not really interested in these bulky jousters um, that's just generally not the game plan the Empire wants to play. Whereas that is primarily the game plan of the Rebels. They have a ton of options. They're all great. Like when you think about a Rebel list, most of them have, you know, some X-Wings or some B-Wings in there. And and the difference too is like you could take a single unnamed B-Wing, but very rarely are you going to take a single unnamed TIE Advanced. There's a big distinction there. Right, when you're looking for a filler ship, the Empire is going to look at their light fighters a lot more. All right, so now we get down to the uh, last of the core three factions, uh, Scum and Villainy. And they actually have a pretty decent selection of heavy fighters. Right, they have a comparable supply of heavy fighters to the Rebels. They're just not all faction staples. So, of course, we have the Kirax fighter, um, which is basically the Scum X-Wing. So that works perfectly. You know, it's a little less survivable because it's got um, more hold than shields. Um, but it comes in a little bit cheaper than an X-Wing. And, of course, it doesn't have those cool S-foils. But I think the biggest distinction between the Kiraz and the T-65 is pilot options. So the Rebels have a whole slew of pilot options, which, which lets the X-Wing fill a bunch of different roles, whereas the Kirax doesn't really have that great of named pilots um, of course there's sometimes use talon bane but that's not really that common um, generally when you're using a kirax you're just going to use the cheap generics and those cheap generics are still you know close to 40 points so you're gonna run into the point where how many of them do you include in your list while still having room for some of the other ship archetypes 
And that's kind of what's interesting about Scum when it comes to heavy support because you're using these ships specifically within this faction to support something else in your list. Uh, with, with some of the other factions, you can take your heavy support ship and really build around it. So you could take a T-65 pilot like Luke and build your list from there. Um, but very rarely within the Scum faction are you going to take a Kirax and then build your list off of that. Yeah, I think that's something you see overall with the Scum Faction here across all their heavy fighters is that um, it's a, a lot of it's a style thing where you find that in, in the Rebel Faction, you'll build so many lists around a particular pilot in one of their heavy fighters, but seldom do I ever see people really building lists around any of these Scum heavy fighters. They're always kind of the backup, like, oh, I need my list to do damage. And I think, you know, when you look at ships like the, the G1A or the Kimagila, um, both of those ships are never really something I think I'd build a list around in Scum. But they both do a pretty good job of laying down a base of fire. Like the G1A is, you know, on the high end of hit points. It's got nine hit points total, three attack dice, one agility. Um, so it's it's very durable. But I can't really see myself building an entire list around even just a named G1A pilot. Oh, I think that statement certainly applies to the Camogial fighter. Um, I think there's one exception in the G1A, and that's Forlom. Like I can see starting a list with Forlom. Uh, wanting that stress dealing element, um, he's he's kind of the exception to the scum rule of you just kind of take the basics and they're just there to add some three dice attacks to the rest of your list. I th- I do think the G one A like the way it's built is interesting because I think in a lot of ways it's really built um, upon the structure of the B wing, but it puts a really big scum variant on it. So it's a lot it's a lot bulkier and less nimble. So it's got a zero stop. It doesn't have that uh, barrel roll action built in, which I think is interesting. So the chassis without any upgrades um, doesn't have nearly as much nimbleness as the b-wing it doesn't have that barrel roll linked into a focus anyway um, but it does compensate for that and having that extra hit point and having that stop maneuver and that really makes it feel more uh more like a scum ship yeah absolutely all right on to the resistance uh really only one option here for the resistance but it's a good <laughs> one uh we have the t70 x-wing of course the x-wing is the heavy fighter and, you know, what's cool about the T-70 is we get to see, of course, that next gen. Okay, we have our baseline heavy fighter in the T-65. How do we make it a little extra? And that's, you know, of course, what you get with the T-70. You know, it just does everything T-65 does, but a little bit better. It's got an extra shield, better S-foils. Um, you know, it's got the boost native instead of barrel roll. Well, I think that's really what the faction does as a whole for the Resistance, where they take a lot of what's known, um, and we see this in the T-70X-Wing, and we also see it in the uh, RC-2A-Wing, where generally they like to take a known quantity and then just, you know, if it had 30 years worth of improvements, where would it get at? Where would we get to in the future? And that's just the T-70. It's just a little bit better than a T-65X-Wing in pretty much every dimension, and it because of that, it costs a little bit more. And I think when we look at the T-70, I think that's where we can see like the most versatility in playstyles for heavy fighters. Um, you know, we've seen just the straight jousting, you know, four T-70 lists do exceptionally well. Andy Myers has been on the show, um, you know, pretty well known for flying just your jousting T-70s. Um, but of course, you you know you can turn these guys into some aces because they do have that mobility. 
Empire players might scoff at that because they don't have three agility, but <laughs> it's fine. They can arc dodge just fine. But these are, yeah, these are great examples of ships that can fill a lot of different roles for their factions. So, you know, the T-70 is feels very different when it's flown in a, you know, lower initiative variant with several of them in a formation versus someone just flying Poe Dameron or Nine Numb. Uh, those feel like very different uh, ways to fly them, but it is the same chassis. Right. I mean, and, you know, of course, when we get to these smaller factions, they don't have as many ship options. Um but I would still say, even with just one option here, that Heavy Fighter is, you know, a, a core component of the Resistance. T-70's in, like, almost every Resistance list. The same can somewhat be said for the other sequel faction, the First Order. Uh, they have the TIE SF Fighter, uh, which operates as their Heavy Fighter for that faction. Yeah, and the TIE SF is interesting because um, specifically the variant of it I'd put in the heavy fighter category because uh, it toes the line a little bit is when you're running it with the special forces gunner gunner slot um, because it gives it that extra firepower to help us classify it in that heavy fighter category. Um, we'll see this here in a minute too with the uh, other sprite where um, you can actually have the same uh, ship model basically fill two different roles depending on its configuration. Um, but when you're running the TIE SF with the Special Forces Gunner, it definitely falls into the heavy fighter category. Without it, it's honestly on the high end of light fighters. Right. And so when we look at the TIE SF, um, you know, of course, you know, small factions, they can get a lot more versatility out of these, like a single ship chassis. Um, and of course, the TIE SF has a lot of different versatility. You can build it a lot of different ways. But when we look at it here, you know, it also compares pretty well with an X Wing. Uh, but a little extra, you know, we have three attack dice out the front or um, doing the double shot of, you know, two attack dice out the front, two attack dice out the back. Uh, pretty powerful options. And it's got, you know, pretty good survivability and I think a pretty great dial. There's some red on there, but it's a pretty great dial. The red uh, seems less like a hindrance when you have every maneuver on your dial. So I think, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that TSF has as a strong dial. And having that opportunity or availability rather to shoot out the back if need be, uh, just makes that dial even even better. Yeah, I mean, again, we're seeing a variant here where, in a lot, honestly, in a lot of ways, this ship feels a lot like a T sixty five X wing. It's just we're seeing those slight variations to the way it attacks that really. Um, adds to the identity of the ship in different factions. A big, you know, a big uh, defining characteristic of the First Order is that they have these really well-trained, um, really well-trained ship pilots that have been specialized in doing just this one task. And we see a good example of that in the TIE SF, where you have these really high, highly trained pilots that know how to not only fire forward, they can fire backwards too. Right, they're special forces. Um... <laughs> Well, yeah, and the TIE SF, you know, you can take, you know, a powerful ace like Quick Draw, and that can be the centerpiece for your list. Or, you know, you can take a bunch of those um, Zeta Squadron survivors and have that be more the backbone supporting the list. Or you can just take a bunch of them and have that be your whole list. And even with that Special Forces Gunner upgrade card on there, you're not really breaking the bank when it comes to points. Uh, you'd be looking at, like, 42 base with one of the generic SFs with that gunner on it. Yeah, which, I mean, that's, you know, comparable to a baseline X-Wing or B-Wing, so that's not a tall ask. 
Yeah, I mean, so only one option for the first order, but I think it's one of the cooler options. Um, and I know, you know, Tim and John are a little biased. They they like the ship maybe a little <laughs> too much, but it is pretty cool. Um, I do have to admit that. I mean, it is the true heavy fighter in that it is so versatile and it gets so much work done um, at such a good value. Yeah, absolutely. We did mention earlier the uh, the Ether Sprite and the Republic faction serves a somewhat similar role that the SF has in the First Order faction in that it does have the opportunity to be a heavy fighter variant based on the Delta 7B config. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean out of the, you know, the stock Ether Sprite has just the uh, three hole one shield and that is very much a uh, an interceptor build especially when you're loading it out with calibrated laser targeting. But as soon as you throw that 7B title on there, it does completely change the ship's role. Obviously, it's got still got the same dial and action selection, um, but then it fills out to having those six hit points and that primary uh, weapon value of three, uh, which squarely places it in the heavy fighter type. Right. I mean, so the Delta 7B is a weird heavy fighter. You know, it's incredibly good. You know, it's got the three attack dice, uh, six hit points, uh, two agility, and then a range of one to three force points protecting it. So it's a little unique in that aspect, but then it also does have the action uh, bar of an interceptor. So it's a little bit of a hybrid for our heavy fighter um, because double repositioning is not really something heavy fighters really do. It also has a slightly increased survivability factor because almost well, not almost, actually, all of the pilots have that force modifier that they will always have, so they've always got that pos- passive mod accessible to them. Right, and, and so I think my argument to be why we put this in the category of heavy fighter is really comes down to um, agility versus hit points, um, and that's not an insubstantial change we see here on the ship. So the baseline other sprite has three agility and four hit points. When you put the 7B on there, it switches that down to two agility, and six hit points, um, which in a lot of cases, that's kind of, almost seems like an even trade. It just shifts a little bit how, about how you have to fly the ship. But I think the focus on having the higher hit point total versus a higher agility really does put it more in the camp of um, heavy fighter rather than interceptor. Absolutely. Uh, because if this thing gets shot at, it's going to take damage. Like, um, And you can do the double reposition thing uh, but at the end of the day, you're not going to have the agility dice there to back you out all the time. Right. I mean, in the same way that Poe isn't an interceptor, but he can double reposition, like that applies to all of the 7B pilots. This is just the Republic's take on a heavy fighter, so it's got a bunch of force and can do weird stuff with that force, right? Uh, but of course, the Republic also has the ARC-170 traditional heavy fighter. You got both those options, and they work well together as well. Yeah, and I think uh, both these ships, uh, while they're both heavy fighters, they both kind of uh, are examples of what the Republic's faction identity is, which is split between having your high-skill pilots, which are typically Jedi, um, in these uh, heavy fighter platforms, or having really strong generic value options, which is what the ARC-170 does. Right. I mean, we said it earlier, the biggest strength of the Republic ARC-170 is that it has its generic options. And when we look at, you know, how this faction plays on the table, ARC-170, Delta-7B, these are, you know, a lot of the core of the faction. 
you see these ships in almost every match. Then if you take a look over at the Separatist faction, you have the Belbalab 22-star fighter, um, which, because the Separatists have such a limited pool of ships to pull from, uh, much like the Empire, this is the only heavy fighter option. Right, and also much like the Empire, heavy fighters, not really what this faction's known for. Uh, Separatists are all about their light fighters. Um, Of course, they have perhaps the best one in the Vulture and you really never really see more than one bubble app in a list. I think at most I've seen two. And I think it really does suffer from a lot of what holds the uh, TIE Advanced back in that it generally does have the lower hit point threshold, so it's a little more susceptible to getting taken off the board. It's got an okay dial. It's got a pretty good action bar, you know. Um, and, you know, having three attack dice, two agility squarely puts it in that heavy fighter camp. Um, but it's just not quite enough, and it really doesn't mesh as well with what the faction, uh, the Separatist faction is trying to do as a whole. Oftentimes what we see Belbalab is more used for is more as a tactical relay carrier, so they uh, function a lot more like a utility ship than they do actually like the heavy fighter chassis they are. Right, I mean, so obviously a tactical relay is probably the strongest reason to take a Belbalab. Um, but also, I think the reason you only really see one is that title, giving it the two extra hit points, does you know dramatically boost its survivability, going from five hit points with two agility to going to seven hit points. Uh, pretty powerful. Plus, the ability to throw away some crits is super annoying. Yeah, and very similar to Darth Vader and the TIE Advanced, if you take a single Belba Lab and you're not taking it to carry a tactical relay you're usually only seeing people fly General Grievous. Yep, totally. All right, so that does it for Heavy Fighters. Uh, We will be continuing this segment for Light Fighters, Interceptors, uh, and a bunch of others. Yeah, and I I think it's... uh, I always like looking at kind of just the the building blocks of the X-Wing game as a whole because it's interesting that we've kind of defined our list of seven ship types. And I think for the most part, we see all these ship types represented in some way in each of the factions. And just we see each of the factions kind of skew the the ship type to their own flavor and style, um, which is really cool, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is like a really interesting way to really pinpoint how the factions play differently yeah so in lieu of actually being able to play the game you know for the foreseeable future here for the next couple weeks we'll just keep talking about these extra ship types so keep tuning in to learn about the other six options yeah i had fun with this uh and my thought was oh i gotta go try out some of these heavy fighters and i'm like oh shoot (laughs) can't do that quite yet Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Radio TCX. If you like the show, please go on to facebook.com slash Radio TCX and like our Facebook page. While you're there, you can find the uh, post for this episode and let us know what is your favorite heavy fighter that we talked about today. Which one do you find yourself always going back to? And why is it the T-70? You could consider going on iTunes and leaving the podcast a five-star review saying specifically what you liked and why you think other people should listen. And if you want to support the show directly, please consider going on to patreon.com slash radio TCX and becoming a supporter of the show today. It really means so much to us. Again, folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Radio TCX. Hopefully you're all uh, staying safe out there, 
sheltering in place. Uh, We will keep pushing this content out every week. So uh, we will talk to you next week. Hello and welcome to Radio TCX. Carson's still <laughs> and Carson's still eating too. Oh shit. Perfect. Thanks, Carson. Let me try that again. Carson, do you need to eat like a potato chip before we start the next section? Are They're you Oreos, go? but um Okay. So once you oh, eat that one, great right like now. it's unstoppable. Um it's a cascading effect. Are they regular Oreos or are they double stuff? Uh, they are regular Oreos in that they are double stuff. Okay, good answer. <laughs> Fair answer. You get you get less cookies per pack though. But if you get the regular Oreos, you're just getting mostly wafer, which I'm okay with. Um, you're getting disappoint. You're getting more <laughs> disappointment. So I think the wafer there's value in the wafer if you have a glass of milk to go with it. I think if you're just going straight Oreo, okay, but that's like basically adding extra cream filling, right? Exactly, right. It it balances. No, it is. I'm saying the regular Oreos are deficient, and the milk helps compensate for that for sure. Right. And then you just get more cookie that's, for your package, right? That's just science, right there. So the unfortunate thing is that the weird flavor Oreos are all not double stuffed. They're just regular. Yes. And some of them flavors sound kind of exciting. Like I got some ones that are basically like the coconut caramel Girl Scout cookie Oreo flavor. Those any good? Um, It's okay, but it's like, you know, the regular Oreos. So it's just, eh, you know. I actually really like the golden Oreos. Those are okay. The <clears throat> Reese's Oreo they had in limited edition, not just the peanut butter ones. It was specifically Reese's Oreos. We're great, but again, here we are. We made a big deal in the intro about talking about X-Wing this week, and we've immediately uh, started talking about cookies. <laughs> well, you're you're going to cut this out and put it at the end anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> I might not. Who knows? Just leave it. It's shelter-in-place time. Um, we're, <laughs> we're talking about a ship type today. This is our new series.